so on this episode, I have guest Joe Godina on the show, and Joe is a former military guy, and now he teaches vocations at a, a local prison. Joe is a great guy and a great artist. Uh, you got to check out this guy's work. In the show, we talk about two or three pieces, and uh, we'll put those up on our social media, Facebook, Instagram for you guys, so you can check them out uh, while you're uh, listening to this podcast. Also, for this podcast, if you haven't already heard, we are going to put up a video. So the audio file for this podcast will be on that video, and then we'll kind of slideshow the pictures as me and Joe kind of discuss them. But anyways, guys, I really hope you enjoy, and uh, again, thank you for your support. Remember to uh, reach out or follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at PTSD underscore hole. Joe Godina grew up in Corcoran, California. In 2001, he joined the military and joined the reserves out of Bakersfield, California. His time in the Army led him to eventually go down his journey with PTSD. For the past four years, he has been working at Valley State Prison as a vocational instructor, teaching building maintenance. Joe also is an incredible artist who uses his art as therapy for his PTSD. He even adds his art to his vocational curriculum at the prison. He makes art out of wood pallets and other things that most people would see as throwaway objects to show his students that even the things that seem invaluable can be worked on to be made useful and beautiful. So your art, where do you, obviously uh, you get influence from your journey through post-traumatic stress disorder, but do you find influence in, in anything else and where do you kind of start to build this image in your head of what you're going to build? My pieces come from uh, the wood itself. I actually just start with a, it's all out of pallets, all all out of uh, throwaway. Something that you see on the the average street now, you know, you see uh, the vets on the corner, you know, and people just tend to brush them off like they're nothing. Um, I get a lot of my emotions and and feelings through that and just you gotta feel the gut. You gotta you got really gotta get deep within your within your art. So that's where it, it starts and um what I do is I, I go through the internet and I look at pictures and I actually pick about ten to twelve pictures and start where my feelings go with it, you know? Um, now, there's some drawing on your art. Did you draw those pictures on, onto your pieces as well? or My art, I do a lot of the shadowing. Okay. So I do a lot of maj podge, you know, mixed media. So I, I print them on the wood, and I, I shadow them all in and get the characters. Okay. And when you say print them on the wood, do you... So you, what, what you do is you... Um, you put a chemical, and you lay the picture on top of the wood, and the ink transposes into the mm. to the piece itself, the actual the the wood. Okay. You know, so the picture will stay on there, but when the picture goes on there, it's actually a flat base. And what I do is I end up shadowing everything, bringing the picture alive. Mm. Okay. So before we got on air, you said that you were. Um, you, your one of your pieces made it to nationals for um, a competition. Yes, yes, I uh, started at the VA probably about five, six years ago for my PTSD, and uh, ended up going to one of their classes. And they said, "Hey, you know what? There's an art, an art competition. You want to try it out?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot." 
And then again, that's where I went to, like, you know what, hey, let me show these guys, you know, what I can do with something simple. And what I did was I took uh, a raw palette and I imposed uh, a flag in it. And then I put my journey through my uh, the Iraq war hmm. in this picture. Hmm. I want to go to the first piece I saw that you sent me before we got a talk before we started talking, and that was uh, faces, correct? Um, the first part and, and by the way for listeners of uh, this podcast you can catch Joe what's your Instagram account so our listeners can go look at uh, right now it's under a fat Joey G um, and that's what it'll be under and also too um, it'll be on whole PT at whole PTSD uh, excuse me at whole underscore PTSD we'll put some of the pictures that we're going to talk about now onto our social media so you guys can take a look but uh looking at faces um what caught my eye first honestly uh was the side of of the rectangle with the kind of the skulls and and the bones and the faces um where does that influence come from so in this piece right here uh faces as you guys look at it um you're gonna start at the bottom and you're gonna see hands and you're gonna see a whole bunch of different shadows and stuff and what it that is is that's um that's hell and what I wanted to show in my art was there's a living hell that we go through that we don't show everybody and within my art that's how i express it because i'm not the kind of person that's going to tell you hey i'm i'm struggling or you know death is easy for me that's i'm not going to do that i i'm going to hold my composure i'm going to keep it together and within my art i display it you know so that's why you see the hands on the very bottom they're suffering and then there's this broken stairway it's going up into heaven but it's broken and it, it's really a hell and then you have the grim reaper and you know, that death is evident you know it's coming and then the guy above the grim reaper he's just like in sorrow you know and that's just a lot of deep deep emotions right there of that you know like I, I don't really tell anybody so I put it in my art <clears throat> so if you work from that side to the left uh, you'll see a big hand popping out of the middle of the piece and what does that represent so you'll see a big hand it's a it's a clown hand and it's um coming out of a fence you know that's actually a fence when we uh when you look at my uh, pieces on your podcast, uh, you'll see another angle of it, and there's a, it's actually a fence, and he's hiding behind the fence. And that's pretty much how it is, you know, we have to hide everything inside. And from this angle, you can't really see it, but if you look down past the hand, you're going to see the face of uh, like a little fortune teller with a crystal ball 
and you know what I mean, then you're gonna see the lady with the snake. And on the very bottom, if you zoom in, it's um, the piece is a freak show, you know, and that's what it is. It's a, that's what I wanted to say in this art piece. It was like, man, everybody always labels us, you know, they don't understand what PTS is, PTSD is, they don't understand that, uh, what we're going through, all they see is, oh, he got too drunk one night, or he's very angry, or, you know, he's emotional right now. They they start to label you, you know, and that's that's how I describe it on this piece. Um, on the other side that you can't see, um, there's a set of clowns. And basically what I'm saying is, you know, every day is a different day. Every day I have to put on a different face. You know, I met you and that's a different face I have to put on. I go to work, I have to put on a different face. If I see my parents, it's another face I have to put on. It's an everyday masquerade. It's an everyday circus show. And then when you want to see the real person, that comes out, you might be afraid of them, mm. you know. What's it feel like to finally have an outlet where you really feel like you can express yourself? I assume I assume you feel it's safe to express yourself through, through art, right? So what's it feel to finally have that outlet after so many years of probably not having a way to express yourself? Oh, it's really good. Um, it's it's a really good uh, release, especially. I mean, you picked the the right piece to look at. Um, when you turn the piece around again, the skeleton hand—it's a skeleton hand. It, it's actually flipping somebody off. Mm. And and the middle finger it says normal. Um, you have to look at it from the front. But the whole purpose about that, that was not meant to uh, offend anybody. It was basically telling the world, like, you know what, hey, man, after you hear so many times is, can't you just be a normal person? Can you be that guy that before you went into the military, what happened to that guy, that normal guy? And you'll hear that phrase a lot, is you're not normal, you know what the hell is normal you know so pretty much in this art I wanted to tell her not tell everybody but I wanted people to see you know here's your normal because for us that put it all on the line and go to the edge there's no normal we're just trying to make it day by day right that kind of mentality that someone has to have to be in the military do you feel that that was kind of inside of you before you entered the military? Um, you know, goal-oriented, get-the-job-done type mentality? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you have to have that to go into the military. I mean, it's either have to have that drive, that goal mentality. is like, this is what I want to do. This is, it's not for the money. It's not for the, the clout. 
I mean, we join the military because we want to serve our country and to give you a safe place to come home. Hmm. Make sure your family's taken care of in that honor. What's it feel like to finally get home and maybe not feel yourself? You you fought for a, a piece of land. You fought for a country. But what's it feel like to come back and, and feel different? Well, you really don't feel different in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you actually don't know what this feeling is. You went and you did a job and you took care of it. You came home and some of us didn't come home, but that was... That was the price that we pay. We we all we all know that. Um, it was it was different. It was really different. You didn't uh, know what was going on mentally and uh, physically. You just wanted to work and work out and isolate. And no one ever talked to us about that, so we didn't know what it was until your family starts telling you, hey. Why don't you want to come around us, or why do you get so angry, or why are you drinking so much? You know, all these little things come on. You're like, ah, you're crazy. I'm the same guy. You know, it, let's go party. But then again, you know, Jekyll and Hyde. Once I hit midnight, is a whole different ball game. You know, the switch turned and emotions and the floods started coming in I didn't know what it was Hmm. I struggled with it for a long time what would you say to family members or friends of of someone who has returned from service or is from the military and and they they see that their friend or family members change it and they what they would say is changing is angry as upset What's your best advice to that to that family and to those friends? Listen. Listen to them. It's hard and that's a, that's a difficult question because uh you know I'm going to use myself uh for example, you really don't want to hear it because you don't think there's nothing wrong. But you know everybody else has seen it. You know, so how do you how do you talk to a family member like that? You educate yourself first before you engage. Hmm. You get educated so you'll know what you're talking about because he's going to look at you like you have no idea what's going on in me. It's like you sitting across from me and how can you experience what I've gone through? And the way I show you that is, there you go. Here's my art. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about this piece because it's really, it's really kind of put an illustration in my head as to what I've been learning over the past couple months about post-traumatic stress disorder, what I saw my own father go through. Um, for, for the listeners out there, you really got to take a look at this piece because it really, really could paint a picture of what I would assume 
uh, someone would go through, someone like Joe would go through, and many others with post-traumatic stress disorder. Joe, what about what else about that piece, man? I noticed there's something to the right of the uh, of the clown hand. Is that uh, a razor blade or something? I can't see too well. Yeah, let me. Uh, so on the right hand side of it, there is a. When when you guys are gonna look at this piece, you're gonna look at it. I'm gonna give them a couple angles of it. When you look on it head up there's a an old razor blade and it's hung on the fence and I put that on there because it's basically saying right there hey man we're always on the fence you know and here it is take it if you want it it's here for you and the easy way out is, you know, our suicide rate for the military is ridiculous. We lose more guys to suicide than we do combat. You know, so I wanted to, to show that, that that's, that feeling is true. You know, as much as we don't want to face that and we don't talk about it. Here I go, I, I express myself through it. Um, through my art that's why it's hanging up there so you know it's like saying that's always in your head and um, I know you can't see it but um, on the very bottom of this piece if you guys were to see it live behind the fence is a lion and a and a tamer and what that represents, it's, it's the beast within. There's so much that we have to withhold and we have to tame inside of us for an everyday person to function. You know, we got to control the rage, the people walking behind us in the mall, the road rage on the street, the close quarters in the elevator. As you said, you know, we're always watching our, our six or you're watching the door. There's so much we have to control. So that's what I put in my piece. I mean, you got to tame the lion. And that's, for me... Jana has taught me that. Jana has taught me how to tame the lion within, you know. All of my pieces are, man, they they have a lot of emotion in them. If you could read them, they all have stories. Um, so that's just looking straight on. And then it's, it's surrounded with copper. And it's tarnished. And, you know, copper is a beautiful piece and then as it ages it gets even prettier and if it gets wet and it gets mm -hmm. distressed there's so much character to it so that's that's what this piece is about mm. it's a whole life cycle wow Joe 
That's something, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really something. It's, um, it's art, man. Yeah. I love it. I mean, off, th- off, off the record, I'm just really honored to have you on the show, man, after hearing that explanation. It's just, that's incredible. Okay. So your other piece. And it's titled Twisted uh, Twisted Rings of Life, correct? Yes. Okay. And um, so you sent me the piece of poetry that goes with that, and it reads, um, you ask yourself, what's the meaning of this tree? It's dry and bears uh, no sign of life. Our past carries heavy weight on us, causing this drought within our souls. Leaving behind these rings of life, there are no rings alike. Hidden from some, but revealed to others, our imperfections and faults are embedded in this ga- grain forever. We suppress our emotions. Every day I struggle with this, with this internal demon, shielding you from my invisible rage, making these awful feelings of fear, failure, worthlessness, abandonment, and emptiness. So Twisted Rings of Life, where did you get the inspiration for that? I actually, uh, this piece came out of my backyard. It was just uh, an old root, tree root. And uh, like I said, I, I pick my pieces and I just have to, I feel it. And when I took it out of the ground, I knew something. I said, man, I'm going to use this. I don't know where I'm going to use it, but I'm going to use it. I could feel it because I like the branches. It had long you know, long skinny stem, and when it dried up, it e- even looked even crazier. Has deep veins, and and so here again, I do a lot of my work at um, my art at work because I show my students. You know, hey, this is what we can do. There's more. There's more than just everyday grind. You gotta put it on, get it out get the that empty ugly feeling out so in this piece you're gonna see it's it's dry it's twisted and I wrapped it with barbed wire and what's that representing it's actually the struggles of everyday life man it's hard it, you know nothing nothing's easy it's rusted so I wanted I wanted to put that in there and and the rings of life are there in the tree and it goes down to the it's setting the base the base is an old uh, piece of a tree stump and you can see the rings and I remember as a kid you know the teachers would tell us hey count the rings in the in the tree trunk you know that's how many years that's how many years you've uh, this thing is taking. It tells you every every ring has a different cycle. You have a fat ring, you have a thin ring. So you know, coming from the valley, the water, the rain, the stress, everything it, it shows in a piece of wood. So I said, okay, here I go. Let me go with that. You know, so I'm feeling it. So I wanted to show you guys PTSD. And you look at it, I sent you a p- picture, and 
do you see the little kid with his hands over his ears? Mm. Okay. Caught my attention right away for sure, yeah. Right. Um, that piece right there, that comes along with it, and I wanted to be real about PTSD. You know, you guys can't see it in right now through the podcast, but in the shadows, there's a little dark shadow man. And he's actually yelling at this little girl. And you actually have to see this piece live to, to see the shadow man because that's the way I made it. You have to look through the piece to see the shadow man. And that's why the little kid is holding his ears. And that comes through that built up rage, that stress. You know, for me, I wanted to show everybody, hey, you know, this this happens. You know, that this is real. And if you look farther to the right of that, there's a, a young lady with her hands over her face. And what that, that is representing, that's, that's just the everyday fear that that when we release or we get triggered in our spouses or our loved ones or family members that are around us at the time that that demon comes out, that rage, they're afraid. You know, so I wanted to, to show you guys that. And if you keep looking more to the right, you're gonna see there's a break there's a crack in the in the ring in the trunk and I put a little girl she's actually her feet are hanging in the edge of that if you can zoom into that you'll see it and that's basically saying hey man I'm I'm on the edge you know and this is real and if you look a little bit f past that, you're going to see a girl's face, that emptiness, that loneliness. And, and I put that in there because I wanted to show we're not the only ones that are struggling. You know, it's that could be my wife, my mom. That could be your loved one that has no idea, but she's lonely because you isolate when you struggle with this PTSD. And then on the very bottom, you see a, a, a silhouette of a soldier in the, in the shadows. And once again, that's just a glimpse of where I'm coming from. Mm. I'm taking you guys around this piece. And so after you see the lonely girl, you're going to see rage. And rage is under, the, under the, the trunk of the tree. So basically what I'm saying is, in this piece, this tree grew out of rage. And it's a guy holding this tree trunk on his shoulders. And he's flipping off the world. You know what I mean? Because he just has no control. He just lost it all. And underneath him, 
put in some shot glasses. A couple of them are knocked over. And because it's real, man, there's... That's an escape that we go to. Drinking is an escape, and it brings out all of this ugliness. And if we keep going to the around, I'll finish it with a set of three guys shadowed, the soldiers. Because my heart's always a soldier, and my, my guys are always with me, you know. And then I, I highlighted it, this dead, dead tree, I highlighted it with purple, dry purple flowers to show out of all this emptiness, rage, all these imperfections, there's still something beautiful within us that can come out. And I hung a, a set of dog tags on there. It's hanging off uh, one of the branches. And that's my, uh, my grandfather's dog tags. You know, I just, he's a World War II vet. And I always like to include include him in, in me because, you know, I remember as a kid that he would tell me his stories. And going through uh, what I went through with PTSD, I understand. I understand the isolation, always working. They're like, oh, the guys from World War II, they're always... Um, hard workers, they were a whole different generation. Well, yeah, they were. Imagine what those men went through. Hmm. So do you think that they, <coughs> do you think that they dealt with their PTSD in different ways than people are dealing with it today? Oh, of course. That generation went through, they're, they're, they're the golden era. Think about your grandfather. Anybody that was in World War II, they're solid. Yeah. You know, they're solid. You know, my grandfather worked from sun up to sundown and only slept two to three hours. And you only know all of this. I only know all of this because I've learned it all. And back then, nobody ever knew when we were kids, we were growing up. Nobody knew that. They just thought, hey, Grandpa's a hard worker, you know. That's what they do. No, man. Because I went through it. I worked for hours, 16, 20 hours, because I didn't want to sleep. Yeah. Thinking about my great-grandpa. Um, he, he was he, looking back and what you're saying. You're right. He got back from the war and he worked in the fields. And after that, he, yeah, it was just nonstop. Think about it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so it runs deep, you know, this is, it's it's coming alive now because of you and Jana are making us aware of it, you know, your podcast, Jana's therapy with us, 
She's making this real. What would you say to somebody who might want to give art therapy a shot, who might want to just try to put their emotions out either through, you know, poetry or painting or drawing or constructing pieces of art like you're doing? I would tell them to to go for it, you know, you don't you don't know what you don't know what you got until you do it. And um if you take a look at my work, it's an artist is it comes from within. You know, there's always going to be imperfections. You know, so what do you tell them? Hey man, if you like to color or if you like to paint or if you like to sculpture or you like to write, the VA is open for this. It's a yearly thing. Or the art hop, you know, there's they're always looking for entries. The common fair. I've been doing the fair because I want people to see my work. So I just enter a piece in the fair. Hmm. I got nothing to lose. What kind of resources is the VA? You mentioned that a few times. So can somebody just go to the VA and sign up for some sort of art program? Or how does that work? Um, there's a recreational program through the VA that you can uh, go and see. And they just go and ask. And they'll, they'll direct you and give you the directions to go see somebody there. And they have uh, classes to do that. They have writing classes. They have some uh, couple art um classes you can take pulling up a definition i want to share with you real quick if i can find it talking about your art and thinking about ptsd in past interviews we've had on this podcast i uh, i thought about this and i'm sure you're familiar with this term it's a japanese term wabasabi a japanese word that is uh, a worldview centered on the acceptance of transience and imperfection described as one of beauty that is imperfect impermanent and incomplete Imperfect and permanent and incomplete. Do you think those are two, three good adjectives that might describe how PTSD feels? Yes, um, I think you hit it. I mean, imperfect. Which man is perfect? You know? It's an everyday struggle to be that good person. You know, that's uh, it's really, that is a good phrase right there. It's deep. I think, too, the reason why I thought about that is because it's impermanent. So, you know, everyone talks about suicide rates, military, and, um, and learning about PTSD, it just... I can't imagine how how it must feel to not be able to feel that you can escape your emotions or express your emotions. But, you know, if you get the right help or, or, and you find a great outlet to express your emotions, I mean, that feeling of darkness is impermanent, right? I mean, there's a way to get out of it is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. There are... But you have to get taught. If you're not taught to release, then you just build up rage. 
like I said, dying's easy. That's the easy part. You know, living through what we have to live through that, hey, man, we, we didn't sign up for the PTSD. We signed up to make sure you were okay. And the imperfections that come along with it, that's, I can deal with that now because I have tools. You know, I have tools to get through all of this. But if nobody shows you the tools, or if there's not a tool bag, how, how can you build that foundation? Hmm. They can build a great warrior. But when that building starts to crack or we start getting the imperfections, how do we mend that if you don't have a tool bag? Hmm. And that's what Jana is. Jana's our tool bag. She takes us to the next level. What's one <clears throat> What's one way you um, found that worked for you to overcome your age? Um, being physical, getting in the gym, sleep. Sleep is my biggest struggle. When I um, started my program with Jana, I think I was getting two to three hours of sleep a night because I was on that adrenaline drip you know, constantly moving like your grandfather worked from the day in to the evening time. Sit down for 15, 20 minutes, work through the night. And then when it finally I couldn't just keep my eyes out open anymore, I'd pass out and go to sleep. Hmm. And then when you sleep like that, it takes you into a whole different other world because then your PTSD comes into effect. So my uh, my biggest thing is is sleep right now. It's getting getting solid sleep, working out, trying to stay active so I can get myself to sleep comfortably. <coughs> I ask this question to everybody who comes on the show. For someone who's listening to our podcast right now and is going through hell and is going through the thick of PTSD, what's your best advice for them? There's hope. There's hope and uh, there's help. And it's okay to ask for help. As strong as you think you are, there's no stronger man than the man that can say, hey, you know what, I need a hand. And when I learned to say that, when I learned to ask for help, I became stronger. So that's what I would say to uh, somebody struggling with PTSD is it's okay to ask for help. All right, Joe. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, for the listeners, why don't you give me your uh, Instagram handle one more time? Oh, it's uh, Fat Joey G at Instagram, and I'll be posting some of my art there. Joe, thanks again, man. Appreciate right. it. No worries. The great and powerful Janet Price Sharps. Thanks for sitting across the table and uh, doing your voiceover on this interview. <laughs> You're more than welcome. <laughs> so, Joe Godina, um, great artist, great guy. Amazing guy. Yeah, and you're very familiar with his art. You're actually the one who told me about Joe and told me about his art. 
So faces, we talked about that in his interview and um, it's a really, really powerful piece. And the reason why it was so powerful to me is that, like I said, when I, when talking to Joe is that I really think it depicts PTSD and gives it a great illustration. Um, I think first responders and military in general and I think they put on a lot of different faces and no matter who they're in or just depending on who they're in front of. And I think they do a lot of things like sitting with their back, not against the window or the door. They do a lot of funny things like that, that a lot of people who don't understand and a lot of people kind of think is weird. How do you tell your guys to handle those types of behaviors that aren't really normal, but are just kind of encoded in, in them at this point. I think you bring up a really good point because they don't always realize that what they're doing isn't things that aren't things that other people do. So <clears throat> a lot of times family, they haven't put it together that it has to do with their training. And so the more they become aware of what they're doing and what other people don't do, the more they can describe it to their family. And I think that's important that their family understands why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, I, I may have mentioned this at one point on the podcast, but I often hear like from my law enforcement guys, you know, we're at the mall and my wife is taking forever to get the kids out and or put the bags in the car. And, you know, the officer is getting mad at his wife and the wife is like, what is the matter with you? Are you crazy? Uh, comments like that. And the officer doesn't want to tell them why. And they'll come in and they'll talk to me about it. And I'll say, well, did you tell her why? Because right now she just thinks you're crazy. And the reality is you were there at a murder scene, you know, a week ago or months ago and during the day, during the same time frame. And so you're worried about the safety of your family. And I'll say, you need to tell her, well, yeah, but I don't want to bring this job into the house. You know, I don't want to bring it into my home. I'm like, you bring it into the home every time you walk into your home. It's not like you take your head off and put a different head on. So <clears throat> you don't have to tell her all the gory details. But you can say something like, well, I've been on a lot of bad calls in this area, and I just want to make sure that, you know, we don't linger out in the parking lot. So you don't have to go through the whole crime scene with her, but talk to her about it or talk to your husband about it, whoever the first responder is. And so, you know, like, you know, maybe with somebody who's coming back from the military you don't put your hand on their shoulder or their leg or, you know, because a lot of they have a lot of nonverbal cues of actions that they need to take. And so the more the first responder can be clear with their family and say, here are the cues. And the more the first responder thinks about all their training and what they need to let their family know, uh, I think it <clears throat> reduces a lot of conflict. And it also it just helps the family not think what is the matter with this person you know are they are they insane no it's their training and you can't if you have years of training and hours and hours and hours of training you can't just automatically shut that off hmm. where's that sweet spot of give and take you know um my dad does something that i know he's doing because he's you know 
uh, law enforcement. But, you know, realistically, it doesn't have to do that, right? It doesn't have to be that cautious. So where's that give and take between, you know, the first responder and their family? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, So part of the response is protection. Part of the response is fear for their family. And if the person has PTSD, then it's also a trigger. So I would say, depending on the background of the first responder, how much they've seen, um, you know, have they recently gone through a really bad event? It's going to take a while for their system to recalibrate. Uh, But you're right. Part of the process is the first responder giving a little and going, okay, we can take five minutes in the parking lot (laughs) to get into the car without screaming. Uh, But you know, it's a give and take. So the family goes, okay, we're get, we're going to move this process a little faster. We're not going to sit there and put on nail polish, <laughs> you know, while we're sitting in the parking lot. But on the other hand, um, you know, so being able to talk about it, even kind of joke about it. I have found that when couples get to the point they can joke around about it a little bit and go, I know, we're getting it as fast as we can, you know, and kind of chuckle. That relieves the tension. But then the first responder also feels heard. You know, when you can get to the point, you're kind of joking about it a little bit. But having respect for the needs of the other person, I think that's when when you have um, some pretty healthy stuff going on. Okay. And talking about both pieces, Joe talks about, and and I think faces in particular, Joe talked about um, people asking him, like, hey, just be yourself. Hey, be that old guy before you went overseas. Um and even for first responders, I mean, once they see something tragic, they kind of change a little bit, right? Like you're talking about, it takes them a while out to recalibrate. I remember having that thought with my own father when he was going through it and just thinking, hey, stop being an asshole. Stop being like this. Just just go back to being you. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell family members who are struggling with that, with their loved one who's a first responder in the military? Boy, that's a great question and a hard one to answer. <clears throat> you know, once something goes in your brain... You can never get it back out. And, you know, even when I uh, teach students, say, abnormal psychology, well, from that point on, everywhere they go, they're going to look at people and go, oh, you know, I think that person's depressed. I mean, you can't get that knowledge out of your brain, right? So if you're a first responder and you've gone through a really bad shooting or you've gone you know, you're, you've gone into the military and been in uh, war conflict as a combat veteran, you can't get those sights and senses and smells and that kind of thing out of your brain. It's in there. <clears throat> so what I tell my folks that I see is think about the brain as a clear beaker of water. And when you're born and life just starts dumping India ink in there and you can't get the India ink out. And I use India ink because it's indelible. You can't get India ink out of anything. And so it dumps it in. The only thing you can do is pour in more clear water. You know, so that's why I tell my folks funny movies, right? Happy events. Go on vacation. If you start to get riled up, take a walk. You know, don't get into those arguments because usually you're going to say things you have to, you know, apologize for. So go calm yourself down and then come back in and re-engage with your family. Um, You know, so I give them a lot of coping strategies. But I also 
talk to their spouses and say, okay, when you see him tighten up or her tighten up, you see the uh, jaw clench, you see the respiration going up, it's time to disengage. And because he or she is being triggered. And so let's let them calm down. And you can even say to them, I'm noticing that your respiration is going to go up. Why don't we take a break? And then we'll come back to this. And, and so part of that is you begin to figure out what's triggering them. The first responder starts figuring out what their triggers are. <clears throat> and part of that is they learn how to walk through those triggers uh, and calm their system down immediately. Uh, but also, you know, really talking about the verbiage of how they talk about it. You know, I've had family members say, you're just crazy. You know, uh, what's the matter with you? You're such a blank, blank, blank kind of thing. <clears throat> that's not helpful. <laughs> right? You know, and <clears throat> I think that's part of what was behind Joe's piece with faces is, okay, you don't like who I become, so I'm going to put this mask on. But then when I get triggered, the mask comes off, and then you see who I really am at the moment, and you don't like it. And, and so which face do you want me to wear today? Rather, can I, then can I just be myself? I had a guy that, um, he's, he's a very blunt individual. He and I get along very well, but he, uh, his wife wanted to come to a session with him a long time ago. And he said, okay, but you have to understand I'm going to be me in the session. I'm not going to be the person you see. I'm going to be the real me. And she goes, oh, no, I'm all fine with that. And then he came into the session, and he was very raw, <clears throat> including the sense of humor. And and I, I can roll with that, and I'm fine with that. Um, and his wife started to correct him mm. and said, you know, you shouldn't be talking. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is my session, and I told you. So if you want to be part of this session, then you need to realize this is who I am. I don't show you this face because it offends you. Right. And so, you know, part of that is pain, psychological pain. And when so many of my folks come in, they're so raw and they're hurting so badly. And it's almost like they have to learn to begin to put the psychological salve on. And so that the pain begins to diminish. And part of that is laughing. Part of that is distraction. Part of that is doing fun things with your family. Part of that is taking mental breaks. Part of that is not engaging in fights. I tell my first responders, don't you raise your voice. If you're about ready to raise your voice, walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, and so just cooling that whole system down. But having everybody on the same page, you've got to have the family on the same page. Because if you just treat the first responder that person goes back to their family and the family's like, what is the matter with you? I don't think treatment's working because you're still, (laughs) you're still getting triggered. You know, I was thinking about faces last night after I interviewed Joe and I was thinking about a conversation I had with a friend and it was kind of interesting. He was talking about how his cousin works for an agency down South and, um, sees a lot of things and, uh, he sees him at Christmas and he's just loving, caring, you know, funny guy drinking with all the guys at the family party and whatnot sees him at the next holiday or the next year and it's quiet doesn't want to talk doesn't want to talk about his job doesn't want to talk about anything and i think that in itself is like what faces is all about right yes and it's so so sad you know that we don't realize just how much they hurt and they're so raw and you know 
um, and excuse my wording, but I, I usually tell guys the biggest asshole in the room is usually the one that's hurting the worst invariably with first responders. The one that is making the really sarcastic jokes, is angry all the time, is bitter, uh, is always, you know, dropping F-bombs left and right. Um, invariably, those are the ones that are hurting. And, you know, I think men even more so than women, we teach men almost that you can have two emotions. You can have anger, or you can have happiness. You can't have anything in between. And so they don't even have the wording for sadness, you know. And the guy will come in and say, I'm just pissed. I'm like, yeah, underneath that, though, is your hurting. Right. And they kind of look at me and they'll go, yeah, well, maybe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't even teach them how to cope with that. And we teach them not to have tears. We teach them not to talk about pain and psychological pain. They can talk about physical pain all day, but they can't talk about psychological pain. Right. Talking to Joe about his art, he expresses it. He expresses that he it's an outlet for him to express how he feels. Um, what What's your advice on therapy in general, working out, art therapy, um, what can guys do? How do guys take that leap into finding something that might be able to help them express themselves and feel better? That's a great question. And, you know, again, I think it, it differs for each person. Um, uh, it's interesting. Joe's got a couple of the people in, in my group now doing different art forms. Uh, one of the guys is doing... I don't know. I know there's a name for it, but I can't remember what it is. But he's he's uh, using action figures to play out different scenarios from Star Wars and that kind of thing. And he's on Instagram, and it's it's hilarious. He's having a great time with it. Um, I have another guy. He's making flags, and the flags are just unbelievably beautiful. And he never did anything with art before Joe got him rolling on this. And <clears throat> so I think that uh, kind of finding their niche and talking to other guys. Um, originally, Joe got into photography. Um, Pedro, who's been on the show, is um, loves photography and has done quite a bit of photography. You know, and I think different ways of expressing not only the sadness, but also the beauty. And so one of the things I've talked about to the guys about is, okay, you can express some of the sadness and some of the pain, but then start moving it forward into beauty. And in one of Joe's pieces, it's, it's a very raw piece. And I don't know if he brought it in for you to see. It had a coffin. And then he put barbed wire over the coffin to indicate that that person's gone and um, meaning that the person that went overseas and <clears throat> that was involved in combat. And at the bottom of the piece, he has um, a butterfly, a picture of a butterfly. And it's all about metamorphosis. You know, so he, like in the, the one with the heart, where the heart's really burned, but in the back of the heart, there's a little place and it has seeds. And he talks about that's what therapy is, is it's planting those seeds of growth and happiness and, and healing, you know. And so <clears throat> whatever they're going to incorporate, take it to that next level. Uh, a lot of people journal. I tell people, okay, journal, but always in the journal on healing. Don't end the journal on kind of life sucks and then you die. Um, 
always plan for better, for good. Always keep that in front of your brain. You know, you're training your brain to focus on healing and happiness and where you're headed. You know, it's one thing to know where you've been, but you've already been there. So let's focus on where you're going. And, you know, Zig Ziglar, and I probably said this before, and God knows I'll probably say 10,000 more times, but Zig Ziglar says this, if, if there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. And so the more you can give your brain hope and moving forward, the faster people tend to heal. Dr. Jane Price Sharps, as always, thanks for your great advice. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in to Whole. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. And remember to stay whole and get out of the hole. At the end of every show, you guys might have heard us plug uh, the Suicide Hotline. And that's a great resource, as we've said many times before. But uh, there's also some other resources out there for you guys. And here's one of them. So sometimes people are involved in churches or synagogues or um, whatever their religion of choice is. And very often those entities have services for people that are struggling, you know, be it marital services, be it financial, or be it just support services. And so don't forget about those resources. A lot of times they're free or they're very inexpensive. And, you know, you'll be around people that maybe they don't have the same life experiences, but they may be struggling with some of the same issues. Please realize that if you're a first responder, other people have PTSD besides you. Other people have depression. Other people have anxiety. Other people have marital issues or financial issues. So sometimes it's good to be around other people and realize you're very normal. Maybe you had some abnormal events in your life, such as going to war, or being a law enforcement officer or a fireman, firewoman, uh, or an EMT, but you also have a lot of normal experiences. And so don't forget to reach out to people in your community for that support.